welcome to a special episode of Access and Opportunity. I'm Carla Harris. Now, although I'm typically your host, today the tables will turn and I'll be in the guest seat along with my Morgan Stanley colleague, Alice Velma, Managing Director and Co-Head of our Multicultural Innovation Lab. For this episode, we're taking you on a journey into our why to explore the ways in which we at Morgan Stanley are working towards a more equitable funding landscape for women and entrepreneurs of color through our in-house accelerator, the Multicultural Innovation Lab. Now, the next voice you hear will be our guest host, Ian Falou, former founder and CEO of GetLinks and a graduate of the Multicultural Innovation Lab's inaugural class. Acquired by enterprise software leader Inform, GetLinks monitors open source usage for enterprise, identifying risks in security, licensing, and updating. Now working as an investor, Ian will talk with Alice and me about the lab's five-month intensive accelerator program designed to help build and scale startups. We'll also chat with Ian about our respective personal journeys that led to spearheading the lab program. All right, Ian, take it away. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited about this conversation we're going to have today with Alice Vilma and Carla Harris. I spent so much time with you guys in the halls of Morgan Stanley. Don't get to spend as much time with you guys these days, but I'm glad we have this conversation about your why. How did this all come to be? All these initiatives around multicultural founders at Morgan Stanley. I'm super excited about hearing why, why you guys do it. Why you guys do it on a daily basis. But before we get started in that, Carla, I want to I want to ask you because I've heard some stuff about your background and your career and everything that that you've shared with me from you know obviously being uh, there at Morgan Stanley and, and running a lot of stuff on that side. You're also a very accomplished singer. Tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I started at Morgan Stanley right out of Harvard Business School, and I wanted to be an investment banker, and I started in M and A. And because M&A was hot, frankly, and I thought that I wanted to go to the toughest, roughest place. And everyone said, don't go to M&A. They don't have a life. <laughs> you won't have a life. They wear beepers. And I said, OK, that's exactly where I'm going, because you know me, Ian. I'm negatively motivated. You tell me I can't do something or I shouldn't do something. I'm all over it. And I did learn a lot in those first couple of years. But um, M&A died in 80. 89 was the last big year. And in 90, it was dead. 91, it was dead squared. And at that point, I said, well, if I'm going to be in this business long term, I should understand the bread and butter of investment banking, and that is capital raising. And that's where I went to equity capital markets and, frankly, had the time of my life. I loved equity capital markets, helping companies go public for the first time, raise large amounts of capital in the public markets. I also started Morgan Stanley's equity private placement business, so I learned how to actually raise money for private companies as well, uh, and then moved on to try to help the firm raise a fund that would invest in women and minority-owned asset managers, better known in the market at that time as emerging managers. But unfortunately, my timing was terrible because I made that move in the summer of 08. I don't need to tell you what happened in September. (laughs) But it still was a really great move because it gave me an opportunity to build relationships with people who had hundreds of billions of dollars of pension assets and other capital. And I learned more about the business, more about you know, the motivations around asset allocators. Um, And even though we didn't complete that fund, it gave us an expertise around emerging managers such that when we decided that we wanted to actually build a platform, I was able to be helpful with that. And in fact, some of the very people that I had pitched actually gave us our first uh, money to manage in that space in 2012. 
around 14, 2014, the chairman of Morgan Stanley said to me, you know, firm on Wall Street has ever gotten it right with respect to multicultural clients. I want to be the firm that leads. And I said, thank you for your confidence. But what is that? <laughs> right? What is a multicultural client strategy? He said, I can't tell you what it is, but I'll tell you what it's not. It's not philanthropy because we write all the right checks to all the right organizations through the Morgan Stanley Foundation. It's not DNI. We handle that in HR. It's around commercial connectivity with multicultural decision makers uh, and so that it is productive and constructive and that we can lead in that space. And you have a blank sheet of paper to figure out what that looks like. And from there, Ian, that what was born was the Senior Multicultural Leaders Conference, which we have the only one of those that exists in the marketplace. It's the conference where the most senior African-Americans, most senior Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, American Indians get together for a business conference. It is not a diversity conference. We talk about everything from, you know, what's on the chairman's mind to the imperative in boardrooms that year to the political landscape to the intersection of the civil rights agenda and the corporate agenda, you name it, we talk about it, all those topics that leaders need to be concerned with in their C-suite seats today. Um, and we also created the Access and Opportunity Podcast, which you happen to be hosting right now. I'm really psyched <laughs> about being on the other side of the table right now instead of doing the interviewing, be the interviewee. Um, and we also created the lab, which you happen to be a graduate of. And the lab was important, and the idea came from having been a judge in the summer of 14 in this organization called Power Moves, where they were trying to position New Orleans as the right ecosystem for entrepreneurs in the middle of the country and with a particular focus on entrepreneurs of color. And in being a judge therein, that's when I saw all these multicultural entrepreneurs with these tech-enabled businesses across all industries. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I, I was so ignorant of how deep that market was, but I was so excited about what we could do as a leading global investment bank to actually try to close this gap with respect to access to capital. And oh, by the way, we could accelerate their growth because we're number one in the IPO market. We know what you need to look like if you're going to hit the IPO market. We're number one or two, depending on the year in M&A. We know what you need to look like for a really great M&A exit. So if we know what the end game is, we can create the content that will help these companies get to that end game. So I was excited about making sure that this was the third leg to the stool, and we brought the Multicultural Innovation Lab to life. We'll, we'll touch based on the Multicultural Innovation Lab. We're definitely going to dig deep into that. And obviously, I was a part of it. I was part of the, the first class, the inaugural class, and I, I learned so much from that experience. Uh, we'll dig a little bit deeper into that. I, I want to jump over to Alice, though. Alice, give us some background. I'd love to know, how did you and Carla get to know each other? I actually met Carla uh, as, I think, a college sophomore uh, doing an internship at Morgan Stanley. And so uh, just about as green as you can be, uh, that was me in capital markets. And it was very funny because I was on my way to becoming an, a, cor a corporate attorney and told folks at Morgan Stanley that, which was hilarious. And, and now here I am. Isn't that great? So, so actually what happened was that summer changed my mind. And so I, I wanted to be, you know, in investment banking because I thought that was the more dynamic of the careers and we were doing things that were um, 
business changing and on the front foot all the time. And so that was what, 20 years ago or so. And so fast forward, I uh, started my career at Morgan Stanley. I went to work at one of our clients. I went back to business school, got an MBA, started uh, working in another field uh, doing investing. So always around investment banking and capital markets. And then came back to Morgan Stanley in uh, 2009 uh, after the company I was working for filed for bankruptcy during the financial crisis. And so went back into capital markets. And Carla and I had always been in touch. So believe it or not, uh, through that experience, we had always been in touch through uh, pretty much all of my career. And so in 2015, there was an opportunity to join this newly created multicultural client strategy team. And I was literally minding my business, doing equity transactions in the utilities, transportations, industrials, oil and gas sectors, very sexy. And she said, hey, I have, I have, this, I have this new opportunity uh, that you might be interested in. Uh, not without its own risk, right? And, and, and certainly much, much different from the work that you're doing today. And when I thought about it and what we were trying to do and what James uh, had in mind for the vision of what this could potentially be, there was no innovation lab to get excited about, right? But there was the opportunity that doesn't really come often in a career, particularly in corporate, where you can create something completely new, create new business out of nothing, and really, you know, with a little bit of educated risk and understanding what you bring to the table uh, to mitigate said risk, you can really create something new that has impact and the ability to completely transform an organization. Uh, and, And I think we're on our way to doing something like that. Well, absolutely. So, so the Multicultural Innovation Lab, I remember first hearing about this. Uh, again, I was the CEO of my startup. Uh, I had a bunch of VC uh, friends and associates. And I think three of them reached out at different times uh, to me and said, hey, Morgan Stanley is putting something together that you might be interested in. It's an accelerator. Uh, they're looking to throw some uh, investment dollars towards companies that they like, and they'll bring you into their location and they'll they'll help mentor you. They'll help connect you to resources. I said, Morgan Stanley? Morgan Stanley, like the, the big bank, Morgan Stanley. And they said, yeah, yeah, Morgan Stanley's doing it. Um, and, and to me, I was like, man, that's super innovative and surprising, like you said, Alice, um, surprising that somebody so large uh, could think, you know, so small in, in the sense of like help help these guys, these smaller startups um, get some traction and, and, and grow and scale um, to be able to look at that level and think at that level is super innovative of a large company in my mind. Uh, anyways, I joined it um, and man, it set me up for so much success. Um, tell me though, why did you guys think about an accelerator? Why wasn't it just Let's, let's put together a venture fund and invest in these guys. What was the idea of putting together an accelerator to actually bring in companies that have um, you know, female and uh, multicultural uh, founders? Well, I'll, I'll start. And, and I'll tell you, Ian, because it's a little bit more than the money, right? And when I was chair of the National Women's Business Council, um, I got an opportunity to spend time with a lot of female founders who had had experiences with some accelerators. And no one was really going deeper than, you know, giving them a little bit of content and in, in exposing them to their network. And as you know, as a younger founder, someone who may not have had 25 years of corporate experience or business experience, but somebody who has a great idea that knows how to move it forward, there's still a lot of other things that you need 
as you make the transition from founder to CEO, right? And those are some of the things that we are very clear on because, again, we have to evaluate CEOs and management teams when we're taking them out to the public market. Sometimes we have to have a tough conversation with the board and say, He's not your guy or she's not your gal. So if you want to get this, if you want your exit, you're going to have to do something about this management team. So we've seen, you know, a lot of really great leaders and not so much. And so I thought that we brought more to the table than just money and that we could really set some of these companies up for long, long term success. And some of these entrepreneurs are going to build billion dollar companies. Some may not, but some may be serial entrepreneurs. But there's so much more we could bring to the table than a few hundred thousand dollars, which is what a lot of accelerators offer. Uh, And if you're going to enter a market where they're already players, you need to differentiate yourself. And I think that that was one of the major points of differentiation. And one last point that I'll say is, as you know, entrepreneurs of color are often handicapped because they don't have the friends and family round. So they go to institutional investors or institutional angel networks, but they're told, come back when you get, well, they can't ever get X, right? Well, these are things that we could be helpful with because we were willing to go a little bit earlier stage in some cases than some other accelerators as well. So there are a lot of gaps that are in the marketplace between all entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color that we could quickly erase by having them involved in the lab. Yeah, I like what you said there around um, around the early stage. You know, I think there's a lot of venture capitalists out there that aren't going to invest in the early stage, um, but an accelerator can essentially say, hey, we'll take you at an early stage because we're going to help you. We're going to provide you resources. We can move you to a stage where you feel like you are comfortable enough or and investors are comfortable enough in investing in you. Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing that I would say right to that point um, and, and, and to Carla's point also twofold. First is we get in as investors and immediately you don't trust us. Immediately you don't trust what uh, recommendations we're bringing to the table because at the end of the day, uh, particularly when we started the lab, VCs were not to be trusted because they're taking everybody for a ride. Um, maybe that exists today, maybe it doesn't. Um, secondly, uh, to Carla's point, I don't think we could really find a lot of so at the VC level, when we're thinking about these companies who, um, you know, need larger investments. We're going to put a million dollars to work, as an example. Parity was really at the seed and Series A round where we would find the most numbers of uh, folks of color to invest in. And so the trust factor, when you come in as an accelerator, yes, we are investing in you, but at the end of the day, we do have your best interest at heart. And you see it in action, for instance, when we're talking to you about some of your acquisition opportunities, it's not about our dollars, back to Carla's point. A couple hundred thousand dollars is nice, it's helpful, but it's not going to make or break you, the company, uh, and certainly not a company like Morgan Stanley, but it's the advice that you get, and that builds the trust to then receive the outcomes that you're looking for, to then go to the VC, have learned everything that you need to learn, have the tools in your toolkit to then understand the game a little bit more, and you're ready for it. Um, and so, so that, that's what I would say. I think, you know, even at the million-dollar stage, you'd be in a position where we're probably setting the company up because it's a little bit too much money, not enough runway to get what you need to get done. And on top of, uh, you haven't been as acclimated to the game as, as, as you, might, you might have thought, or as some of your counterparts. So uh, this podcast is called Access and Opportunity. I mean, I think the, the premise of starting up the, the lab was around access and opportunity, providing access and opportunity, like you mentioned, Carla. Um, other than the friends and family round, uh, which is 
I, I think it's glaringly missing in, in a lot of uh, underprivileged uh, populations. Uh, so just getting an idea off the ground is hard because there's just nothing, there's nobody that's going to give you money for that until it's at a certain stage. That's obviously a, a big obstacle um, and an, and an, an opportunity that I think uh, Morgan Stanley is providing. But what other opportunities are entrepreneurs in need of? According to your, your experience with the lab. Yeah, the, the opportunity, frankly, to get exposed to different classes of investors, right? So we just talked about the friends and family. We talked a little bit about VCs, but there's family offices. There's institutional investors. There are corporates that can uh, that qualify as institutional investors, of course. But more importantly, that could be suppliers or that could be customers. And as you well know, as a uh, emerging company, it is really difficult if you don't have those networks to go knock on a door of a Microsoft or a Walmart or, you know, or, or Target or, uh, you know, pick the company. So that's something that we can also provide access to is some of those introductions or it, it, and at a minimum, um, I can't think of anybody that we don't have a relationship with, but at a minimum, we can certainly talk to you about how you ought to approach you know, and if we can't get you all the way to home base, we can probably get you to third, right? And then provide some an introduction to somebody that can get you home. And and as I said, it's also the visibility. And we didn't talk about that. You know, there are two things that happen when you come in the Morgan Stanley Lab. First of all, there is there's a press release that that is that's put in the marketplace about the fact that you've come into the lab. So that immediately raises your level of visibility. And again, hard for you to buy that kind of access, that kind of visibility when you're an emerging company. Um, and then we continue to have stories in the marketplace that either we write or that are on social media or that are on you know television that also raises the level of visibility. And again, that, that visibility brings customers, it brings suppliers, it brings other investors. So that's also access that, and opportunities that emerging companies just don't get. I mean, from, from personal experience, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity here, like you mentioned, to find a new network. Um, coming from the military, I, I served uh, about a decade in the Army. Um, you come out of the Army at that point in your life, and you realize that your network is made up of soldiers, uh, not necessarily millionaires and and uh, Wall Street uh, investors, you know, and, and, you know, your network is really small. Um, and outside of that, from, coming from a multicultural background um, uh, from the island of Samoa, um, there's not a lot of millionaires running around that island. Um, so, so my network was small. Uh, I, I think a lot of times I, I, I was really putting pressure on how do I expand this network? How do I get outside of this circle? Um, going to business school was one. Um, and then, and then joining, uh, you guys at Morgan Stanley was another way that uh, I can, I can confidently say it was the reason for so much of my success. Not only did Morgan Stanley lead our seed round, which, you know, you go to any investor and you say, um, you know, hey, I, I need some money for my company. And they say, well, is anybody else investing? You say, well, Morgan Stanley's leading this round. And they're like, what? Morgan Stanley cares about you guys? All right. So maybe we should listen up. Um, you know, just that alone uh, provided so many openings and, and conversations. Um, but I, I'll say at the end, you know, Carla, you know this. Um, we were looking for an acquisition and we got acquired by a company that mentored me during the lab. You know, it was it was honestly, honest to goodness, uh, a result of a network uh, that I didn't originally have before I started the lab. So 
hats off to you, you folks for, for putting together such an amazing lab with, uh, with true opportunity and access to a network, uh, that not a lot of people have, uh, you know, they're not born with it. They don't, they're not raised with it. They needed to acquire it after, after, you know, a lot of experiences. And this is one experience I, I, I highly recommend. All right. So let's, uh, let's jump into um, a little bit more about investors. You know, after the acquisition of, of GitLinks, I moved over and, and, and decided to become an investor. So I'm a, I, I run a venture capital fund at a company called LMI there uh, in the government space. Um, one thing that I've started to realize, and, and obviously I think about women-owned and, and multicultural uh, founders uh, a lot. And I try to think about, you know, how do, I, how do I help them? How do I provide a resource to them? I would love to invest in them, but it's not always the case that I can find them, um, specifically government space, um, specifically around strategic technologies that the government needs. I'm looking out there for, you know, scouting out and trying to find these things but they're not always led by these type of founders. Tell me, what, what do you think about from a corporate VC standpoint? What can a corporate VC like myself uh, do to be able to, to, to focus a little bit more effort in that space? Yeah, so I think doing, again, partnerships with labs like ours uh, that are su- supremely focused on these demographics is paramount because you're going to increase your chances tenfold or twelvefold with respect to meeting these guys. It's interesting because um, there are a few, we have a lot of affinity relationships with affinity groups that are looking at women entrepreneurs, multicultural entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs, Indian, Hispanic, etc. And uh, it's, it's such a breeding ground for all types of interesting technologies. I was just at a, a pitch night the other, the other day where I found very technical black founders. And now that more uh, founders are exiting, now that you have more investors such as yourself who are coming into the space as partners, et cetera, the network uh, affects grow. And so you come to somebody like us and say, okay, we're looking for this type of technology or we're looking for this type of founder. Because we built that credibility in the space already, we can just go out to our networks and say, go find this person. And bet you will probably return the, 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 the founder you're looking for. Now, whether you invest or not, that's up to your thesis and, and et cetera, uh, but, but, but at least you found them. And so uh, I, I see in some of the research that we've done, this is what some of VC needs to do to bring on diverse investors who are looking for inverse, diverse founders to diversify portfolios. It, it's, it's critical. It's critical. And so I think corporates who have more affinity relationships with uh, accelerators who are more demographically focused, if you're looking to diversify your portfolio demographically, as well as other affinity groups, that's, that's a good, very good place to start. Let me, let me talk about 2020. Obviously, a crazy year. You know, we have the pandemic, obviously, the BLM movement. Um, what would you give advice to an entrepreneur and an investor in this time, in this, in this year, uh, where everything's changing around them? I mean, what's important for them to keep in mind when it comes to, to the entrepreneurs and the, the founders that you guys support within the Multicultural Innovation Lab? Well, the first thing that I would say is piggybacking off of your question that you just asked, uh, Alice, if it was a corporate and was someone who hadn't played in this space before, I would say chaos breeds opportunity, right? There's been a lot of visibility um, around entrepreneurs of color. Take advantage of this now. So if it's something you've been thinking about, something that you wanted to do, now's the time to jump in. You're going to have 
more flow than you would have had if you had to try to do this and, you know, when everything was, you know, quote, going great. If you are an entrepreneur, I would tell you to be aggressive about using your networks. Because again, there's lots of people who are raising their hands saying, I'm interested. And you may or may not hear about that. But if you start accessing your networks and talking to people, you will find uh, easy, warm introductions into some of the sources of capital. So it's a, it's, it's a case that I've never seen before where both are kind of moving to the middle right now. So if you're looking for capital, there's lots of capital that's out there. But make sure that you can articulate your value proposition. And this is what I would say in all environments. You have to be able to answer two questions. Why me and why now? Because there's always a reason to wait, especially with a private company, because you, you have the illiquidity factor. And there are lots of private companies that are out there. So you need to be able to articulate in your narrative why somebody needs to invest now, which means if they don't do it now, you're going to be more expensive later. So when you're telling your story, you need to be able to incorporate some of that into your story, no matter what kind of environment, but particularly in this environment where they might have more choices than not because the visibility has been heightened around entrepreneurs of color. I love that. I will add in one thing that I think, particularly in this moment, uh, is important uh, for, for particularly founders of color to understand. So at the end of the day, I, under, I get it. Uh, maybe you don't want to necessarily have an investment because corporates and or society and or VC have opened up to uh, you know, investing in black founders. But for companies that traditionally have a hard time raising capital, take the money and don't get in your feelings about whether or not what, what some of the intentions were behind this capital being available. The point now is it is. And so let's all just understand that in a world where we might be going into recession, liquidity may get scarce, particularly for early stage capital, given that certain investors, particularly your angel markets, are doing tough in the economy, and so they may not have um, disposable income to put around, when XYZ Corporation stands up a fund or XYZ Fund stands up uh, a new fund to help founders of color, take that. Go and explore uh, getting that money, and, and let's, not be, let's not be too righteous about whatever we think our causes are. Take the money, take as much as you can, because you don't know what the future holds. <laughs> uh, no, I actually agree. Um, you're winding down the fourth cohort of the Multiculture and Innovation Lab. What's next for the lab? Oh, well, shall we make our big announcement here, Alice? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, we're actually doubling the size of the lab. We're going to have two cohorts per year. Um, and we are going to have a side-by-side -side fund that will invest in later stage companies. So we'll be playing in all parts of the ecosystem. We will obviously continue to serve early stage companies like you were in, but companies that are in that Series B, Series C uh, round, we get an opportunity to, to be there as well. Look at that. Chaos breeds opportunity. There it is. You're not just uh, staying the course, you're doubling down. I love it. Literally doubling mm -hmm. down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, ladies, this has been amazing, very insightful. I, I see a lot of the background as to why you wanted to start this up. What keeps you guys moving on a day-to-day -day basis? You guys dedicate so much of your lives towards this effort and initiative of making sure there's access and opportunities for founders like myself, founders like my co-founder and, and all the other founders of the, of the 
companies that have gone through that lab. Um, final thoughts. If you guys could give some advice to entrepreneurs, especially those of, of color, what would that advice be? Look, stay the course, stay the course. Um, yes, uh, we have to be potentially a little bit more nimble, a little bit more agile, uh, work ten, probably 10 times harder, but stay the course because if you really are solving a market problem, uh, there will be investors who believe in that and there will be, there is capital that can help you. There are people that can help you that want to help you and, and, and keep, keep going. So stay the course, uh, be nimble, iterate, iterate, iterate. And make sure that you're always taking in the data around you, iterating on that data such that you're getting to the right product. Um, you were somebody who did that a lot, Ian, and you saw the opportunities as they came. You said, let me just take advantage of this while it comes and look at your outcome. Kudos to you. We need more founders who can do that in the way that you did to fully realize their opportunities to not only realize exits, but also be founder number two, number three, number four, different companies, as well as potentially an investor who can help to change the game as well. And, and I guess what I would add, in addition to what I've already said about being able to answer the two questions, why me, why now, um, I would say, listen, 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 right? And, and really challenge yourself not to be emotional about what you hear. And one of the analogies that I would like to use is, let's say you have a, you know, a vintage car and this is your baby and you've kept this car in pristine condition and you believe this car is worth $20,000 because it's all that. But you've gotten three offers for your car at $10,000. Guess how much your car is worth? $10,000. The market has spoken, right? And so you really, really have to listen to what you're being told. Sometimes the market could be wrong, but it's not wrong that often. So when you're getting the same information over and over and over again, you've got to pay attention. You may still choose to not do it, but if you choose not to listen to what the market is saying, now I'm going to tell you to check yourself as to whether or not you're being emotional, or if you have really good rational reasons as to why you don't want to take that feedback, right? Because I've seen too many founders lose their opportunity because they were emotional. What great advice. Yeah, what wonderful advice, Carla. I love that. Um, it is one of the, the things that I tell most people when they think about investing is just take the emotions out. Sage advice. That's why you are the host of this podcast and not myself. Um, <laughs> but ladies, it's been now wonderful. You've been great, Ian. You did good. You did good, It's my pleasure Absolutely. spending he time did. with you. I agree. I'm like, shoot, I better watch out for my seat. <laughs> Ladies, hey, um, now we get to go to actually the, the best part of this uh, podcast for me, uh, the lightning round. Uh, again, Carla is usually the guru behind the lightning round. I get to turn the tables on her now and see what, what she would do if the questions came at her rapid fire. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a, a group of questions, uh, rapid fire, just answer off the top of your head. Let me start with Carla first, and then I'll go over to Alice. Carla, favorite book or magazine? Of course, expect to win, favorite book. City or the countryside? Oh, city. Winter or summer? Summer. Wall Street or Silicon Valley? Wall Street. Coffee or tea? Coffee, I just had my fourth cup. <laughs> email or phone call you know it used to be phone call but now it's email hey. much faster I'm much faster on it 
If you had a talk show, who would be your first guest? I think it would have to be President Barack Obama. I have a lot of questions for him. And what's one word that you would like to use to describe your legacy? Helpful. Amazing. I have to read Expect and Win now. That's my that's that's my next book yeah, in my sure? queue. That's pretty good. Um, Alice, your turn. Rapid fire lightning round. Okay. Oh boy. Favorite book or magazine? Favorite book: A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Wow. City or countryside? City. City girl. Winter or summer? Summertime. Wall Street or Silicon Valley? That's a good one. Wall Street. Wall Street. Ha. That's I know it's hard, right? I, I, I had the same struggle. <laughs> yeah. Coffee or tea? Tea, absolutely, 100%, no doubt about it. Very classy. Email or phone call? Uh, believe it or not, phone call. Hey. I think you're a minority there, in my opinion. I know. Uh, if you had a talk show, who would be your first guest? That's a good one. Uh... I don't know. Uh, maybe Michelle Obama. I think I've been, I think I was a little biased, but maybe Michelle. She could say things that Barack can't. <laughs> and what's one word that you'd like to use to describe your legacy? Pioneering. Great word. Well, ladies, thanks so much for your time. As a guest host, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been. Thanks, Ian. All right. Thanks, Ian. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Another special thank you for this conversation to both Alice Vilmer and our excellent guest host, Ian Falou. It's great to talk about our work at the Multicultural Innovation Lab and the steps we can all take to create a more equitable funding landscape for investors and entrepreneurs. To learn more or to apply to the Winter 2021 cohort of the lab, be sure to go to www.morganstanley.com MCIL. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to share your thoughts and feedback with us at carlapod at morganstanley.com. I can't wait to hear from you.